Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew's Gospel chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, but I'll give you a moment to find that. Does it ever bother you when the preacher gets up and announces the Scripture and then starts reading you don't have time to get there? That always bothered me. I served with one pastor who would get up every Sunday and say, I was youth pastor at this church. First thing he would say is, turn in your Bibles. I thought, is he collecting Bibles? What? Why do we need to turn in there? Or is it a really big Bible you're supposed to, like, do somersaults in or something? All right, I've stalled long enough. Have you got it? Matthew 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and just look at the first part of this chapter. We're going to get through verse 20 today, but let me look at the first nine verses. The title is The Danger of Religion. The Danger of Religion. Listen to this, verses 1 through 9 in chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would have helped you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. It's amazing that some people are happy with religion. I won't tell you the whole story. I may have told the whole story once here years ago. But I found myself in California needing a haircut. Now, you don't just wake up one day and you're in California. I was there on purpose, but I needed a haircut. Looked in the mirror and thought, I'm going to be gone another week before I get back to my regular barber. I need a haircut. And so I went to the mall. Where else can you get a haircut? You know, if you just go to the mall, there's a bunch of places in there to cut hair. So I went into the mall and I walked in and I said, I need to get a haircut. And it was interesting because she said, what's your name? And I said, well, my name's Robert. And I thought, do they have a chart, you know, like if your name's Robert, you get a bob? I, you know, I didn't know. I was a little afraid what kind of haircut I was going to get. She said, have a seat. Kevin will be out in a minute. And sure enough, a few minutes later, here comes Kevin. And that was the second thing that I should have paid attention to because Kevin had this weird hair thing going. He kind of had this receding hairline Kramer look from Seinfeld. And I should have... <laughs> If he cuts his own hair, I don't want him touching mine. But I thought, well, maybe, you know, somebody else is cutting his hair. Maybe he's the good hair cutter in this place. So I go back. He starts cutting my hair. And, he's, you know, they always ask you, what do you do for a living? And you say, well, you know, normally I'll joke around with people a little bit. But, you know, if somebody's got scissors over your head, I'm just going to tell the truth. All right. I said, I'm a preacher. And he said, oh. I thought, What's, what's he thinking, you know? And then he found out I was from South Carolina and, you know, all these other things. And he, he had pigeonholed me as some, you know, redneck married to a sister or something from South Carolina. And in the middle of the haircut, he did something I've never seen done before. He said, all right, let's wash your hair. I thought, he's not through cutting my hair, but now he all of a sudden wants to wash it, which I'm thinking, what has he seen in my head that makes him think, this boy needs a cleansing? And so now he's not talking to me anymore. He's hosing me down, and he starts talking to the person next to him, and he lets a profanity slip out. And he looks back at me and says, I'm sorry. 
I didn't mean to use that kind of language in front in front of somebody religious. And I said, well, I'm not religious. That totally threw him off his game. He said, what do you mean you're not religious? What kind of preacher are you? I said, well, the word religion and religious is used about ten times, depending on your translation of Scripture. It's used about ten times in the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. The majority of the time it's used, God's condemning it. One time I can find that it's something good, and that's in James when it says pure and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans in need. But most of the time God's saying, take away from me the noise of your religion. And so I shared with him that it's really about relationship and not religion. And I just got to say, we live in a generation even now where some people are just satisfied with religion. Why is that? Why is it that some people just want you to hand them a sheet of rules? Just do this. Kind of what the rich young ruler came to Jesus. You remember what he said? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He just wanted a list. And one reason he asked for the list is he thought the list he knew about, he had been doing pretty good because Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And the young man said, well, I've kept all that from my youth up. And I'm sure he thought Jesus was going to say, well, then you're in. That's not what Jesus said. There was something keeping this guy from really following Jesus, and in that case, it was his money. So this morning, we're looking at the danger of religion. I want to introduce you to some people that are the most religious people on the planet. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to the the region of Galilee where Jesus was, and they had an issue for Jesus. Now, I don't know if maybe some of the local rabbis there had had sent for help and said, we've got this rabble-rouser. But listen, Jesus has renowned his spread throughout Israel. So they had heard of Jesus in Jerusalem. He had been there. Right now he's at the Sea of Galilee region. He's about a week's walk from there. So they come, and they ask the question, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, literally the precepts of men? See, God had given laws in the Old Testament. There's a purpose for those laws. primary purpose for those laws is to show that we can't keep them. The primary purpose of the law of the Old Testament was to indicate we desperately need a Savior. And yet the Jews, rather than turning to Christ as a Savior, had just added law upon law upon law. And they thought by doing that it would help them keep the law. They were strict observers of the law. Now, in later days, about the time of Christ, they had gotten where they realized there's just too many laws. So they thought, you know, if we just keep one or two, that will kind of give us credit for all of them. Remember when they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? You Remember what Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They weren't really interested in what he had to say. They just wanted to know if there's a biggie, give us the biggie, and maybe by keeping that, we'll keep the rest of them. What they missed is if you'd kept what Jesus told you to keep, you'd have kept all of them. You love the Lord your God with everything within you, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're pretty well taking care of the Ten Commandments and the rest of them. So they come to Jesus, and they are so concerned about the tradition of the elders. In fact, over the years, the Pharisees had elevated the traditions of the elders to a place where it really was above Scripture for them. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat bread? Now, and I'm thinking, how did that meeting go? 
Either they got word, we need some help down here, or they realized we got to do something about Jesus. So they had a powwow of the Pharisees and the scribes. They said, we got to catch him in something. What are we going to go after him about? Well, you know, he's been healing people. He's fed 5,000. He's doing miracles. He's teaching. But here's what they come with. Your disciples don't wash their hands. I'm thinking, is that the best you got? Now, it wasn't just that they were concerned about clean hands. In fact, it really had little to do with clean hands. This was ablution. This was ceremonial washing. See, Pharisees believed that throughout the course of the day, you had become defiled. For example, if you touched a dead body or if you had touched a Gentile or in some cases just brushed up against a non-Jew, you have become defiled. So in order to eat properly, you had to ceremonially wash your hands. They even had a prescription for how much water had to be used that was poured over your hands. So that's what they come to Jesus with. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? They, they could produce the most zeal religiously on the planet. They were staunch religious people. We see that in the life of Paul back when he was Saul. Do you remember what he did? He was zealous to persecute Christians until he came to faith in Christ and he became zealous for the cause of Christ. But here's the problem. If all you are is zealous for religion, it just becomes behavior modification. Your heart hasn't changed. You've just changed some external things. And somehow by that, you're thinking, well, I'm I'm okay with God. Look at me. In fact, it's really just flesh-fueled holiness. So they ask the question, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Jesus doesn't answer their question. He asks a question, why do you transgress the commandment of God? You see the difference? I mean, they're talking about, hey, we've got elders that have prescribed these things. Jesus said, listen, you have disobeyed the commandment of God. Which should be more important? Well, in their mind, they were almost equal. If not, this one was a little more important than the commandments of God. Jesus is saying, no, you really ought to obey God. And he gives them a specific example. He said, one of the Ten Commandments is, honor your father and mother. In fact, if you are not aware of where it is, it's in Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. In Ephesians, as it says, it's the first commandment with a promise. If you obey your mother and father, if you honor your mother and father, you'll live longer. Jesus says, why are you breaking that commandment? It also says, if you speak evil of your mother or father, you should be put to death. In Exodus 21, verse 17, and Leviticus 20, verse 9, it says, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 20, verse 9, If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. And Jesus gets real specific. Here's how you've been cursing your father and mother. Rather than taking care of your father and mother who have taken care of you your whole life, and now that they are older, rather than you taking care of them, here's what you're saying to them. Listen, anything I had financially that could have helped you, I've sacrificed it to God. They had come up with a loophole. So you could declare everything you owned sacrificed to God. You pronounce this statement called Korban over it. And it's now dedicated to the temple. And so you could go to mom and dad and say, listen, I'd really love to help you out. 
but I can't because I've, I've, everything that I could have possibly given you, I've dedicated to God. In fact, the law was once you pronounce that word over your possessions, if you did help your family, you've broken the law. But they had a loophole to the loophole. The loophole to the loophole is temporarily you could pronounce uncorban and use the money for whatever you wanted to use it for, and when you were done using it, then you pronounce it back over it again. You see the hypocrisy of what these people were doing? They've come to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples pour some water over their hands before they eat bread? And Jesus is saying, why have you disobeyed God? One of the Ten Commandments. You're not honoring your father or your mother. In fact, you have invalidated the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. You see what had happened in their life? Their tradition had become more important to them than the Word of God. Men and women, I want to say, we've got to be careful that doesn't happen today. That our traditions don't become so important to us that we're disobeying God. In fact, we don't even give a thought about what God may think. Just so the tradition is upheld and kept. And then he declares, you hypocrites. You have come pretending to be so religious, but you're a hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor. Back in the days of Christ, they had stage production. It was typically all men who could play multiple parts because they would just put a mask on. And Jesus is saying, you're hypocrites. You're play actors. Inside, you are sinful and vile. But you're wearing a mask that makes everybody think everything's okay. And you look so religious because you've got on the external accoutrements. You're just hypocrites. You see, the truth of Christ is, re- is removing the mask. And that made them mad. That made them uncomfortable. The danger of hypocrites are, is they're offended by the truth. They don't want the mask to come off. They're destined for judgment. And perhaps the most dangerous thing about hypocrites are they lead others astray. Jesus says, you're just hypocrites. And then he said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy. These people honor me with their lips. They have prized me. They have valued me with their words only. That was a prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, and Jesus said it's becoming true through you. But your heart is far from me. In other words, the only thing you're doing is just lip service, but your heart is distant and cold and hardened, and it's not mine. In vain do they worship me. How scary. In vain do they worship me. One of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. To take God's name in vain means this. To take means to lift up. Vain means empty. So some of you think the only way you take God's name in vain is if you use a certain phrase. No, anytime you lift up the name of God as meaning nothing, You've worshipped him in vain. You've taken his name in vain. So he says to these religious people, you're big worshippers. 
You worship real effectively with your mouth, but the problem is your heart is cold and away from me. So you're taking my name in vain. You're taking my name as if it means nothing. I just want to say, be careful you don't do that with God's name. You ever find yourself in a worship service where the words on the screen don't match the attitude of your heart? You need to do a checkup at that point. And maybe it is, God, I want those words to be true about me, but right now I confess I'm struggling. Be honest with God. It's better to do that than just to sing songs that mean nothing. And perhaps the worst way we take the name of God in vain is to claim to be something we're not. To tell everybody, oh, I'm a Christian. But yet if they watched your life, it would give them every indication you don't know Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes of that day would have said, absolutely, we belong to God. He's our father. Later on in one of the other Gospels, Jesus says, Abraham's not your father. The devil's your father. Be careful that we don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Then let me read the rest of the passage. Verses 10 and following. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus shed some light. He's just had this conversation. Well, people are listening. And so he calls the crowd to himself. And he says, hear and understand. In other words, hearken and comprehend. Put this together. Men and women, what are we putting together? We're putting together this. It's more about your heart than it is this religious external activity. You can go through the motions and not know God. It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man. Literally, to make him profane. And for them, it was all ceremonially. If you hadn't washed your hands, then you're ceremonially unclean. And Jesus said, you, you can eat with dirty hands. You really don't have to worry about what's passing into the digestive tract. It's what comes out of the mouth. Few things were more precious in that day to the Jews than their dietary laws. And let me just stop and say... God gave them some dietary laws in the Old Testament. There was a purpose for them. But they had taken them, and he never called them sin if you don't do this, but it was a picture of what was to come. And I think some of it was just dietary laws that was telling them certain meats you can't keep in the desert, so don't eat it. And by by Acts, he tells Peter, everything's clean, it's okay. In fact, later on, 
the disciples come and say, did you not know they're offended? I tell you what, I'd have been offended if I'd been standing here thinking, I could have been eating bacon all this time. And Jesus is saying, listen, you got it all wrong for you. It's just external. It's just what's going in your mouth. That's not what's important. What's important is what's in your heart. They come to him and say, don't you know the Pharisees were offended? Here's what I love about Jesus. See, in this day and age, if somebody comes to you and said, you know what? I think you offended somebody. What do we do? Oh, I'm sorry. Let let me go and make it up. I'll, I'll take it back. Please forgive me. Jesus never does that. In fact, men and women, you need to understand the gospel is offensive. And Jesus doesn't back down from it. Jesus tells the Pharisees exactly what they need to hear. And when his disciples say, you, you, you caused them to stumble. You kind of tripped them up. That's what the word offended means. You tripped them up. Jesus laid, piles on more. And at no point does he go to them and say, you know, when I was talking about that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I offended you. No, Jesus knew he offended him. He meant to do it. Every plant that the Heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Who's he talking about? He's talking about many of the religious people who that's all they got was a dose of religion. And now they're growing up in the plants. He's already talked about the wheat and tares earlier in Matthew. They're growing up, and he says there's coming a day when they're going to be pulled up by the root because they're not rooted to God. They're rooted to the devil. Jesus says there's coming a judgment. So just leave them alone. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Send them away. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. One of the things the Pharisees love to say about themselves is we're the leaders of the blind. In other words, we're the ones that are enlightened. We're the ones that can see. So we're helping everybody else that can't see. And Jesus says something I think more offensive to them than the issue about what you're putting in your mouth. He said, you are blind guides of the blind. And here's the scary thing. A blind person doesn't know the person leading him is blind. And he gives an illustration. If a blind person leads a blind person, they're both going to fall in the pit. This may, as some scholars think, this was a reference of if you walked across a field in those days, they would dig out troughs to water the, the livestock. And so you would see that easily if you came upon it and you'd divert around it. But if you were blind, you might fall into it and be hurt. But more than that, it's symbolic of the fact that They're on their way to hell because blind is leading the blind. You're blind guides. And the danger is you both could fall in the pit. The last thing is that last part. Jesus aids in their understanding. So Peter comes to him and said, explain that last parable to us. We've been looking at parables this summer. And parables are a story that Jesus throws along some truth, and that's literally what the word parable means. It means to throw alongside of. So Jesus takes a truth that he's trying to explain to them, and he puts a story right beside it to help illustrate it. So Peter says, explain the parable to us, and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, are you still lacking in understanding? Have you not put this together either? Are you lacking in understanding also? Are you like them? You don't get it? Everything that proceeds into your mouth proceeds into the stomach and is eliminated. You didn't know you were going to get a 
lesson in the digestive tract this morning. What's he saying? It enters into the mouth and it's coming out somewhere else. That's literally what he's saying. It's going to be eliminated. So that's not what's going to harm you. What's going to harm you is if you've got an evil heart. And it will be evident by what you say and what you do. Some of these things, behaviors or things that come out of your mouth, but a lot of them are just part of your life, and it's not going to be affected by what you ate that day for lunch. It's going to be affected by what's going on in your heart. He said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. This is what defiles a man. Not whether you eat with unwashed hands or not. Big day for the disciples and those who heard them to finally understand. It's not about keeping the law. It's about acknowledging that you can't keep the law. And you desperately need a Savior. The Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And these religious people thought they were okay with God because they had not only kept the law, but they had made up some of their own. They were doing a pretty good job keeping it. It was all here. And it never made the journey a few inches down to the heart. Their hearts were cold, and it was evidenced by the fact that they had found ways to circumvent the commandments of God and not obey them. Because once God gets your heart, you want to please Him. And it's all about Him and not about you. The scary thing about the precepts of men as we close Three thoughts that I had. One, the precepts of men that they were teaching and what I hear taught today a lot of times that are just the thoughts of man. They promote self-centeredness. It's all about me. In their case, they weren't taking care of their parents because they wanted it all for themselves. It's all about me. So these precepts were promoting self-centeredness. It also fuels self-righteousness. See, if somebody just gives you a list and you keep the five things on the list, what are you going to think about yourself? Look what I did. That's what the rich young ruler did. What must I do? Because once I do that, I can pat myself on the back and think, yeah, I'm saved by self. You trust your efforts rather than God. And the third thing it promotes, you learn to serve self-interest. The scribes and the Pharisees had minimized the Word of God. Because if the Word of God was truly supreme, they would be minimized. They'd be out of a job. Because people were dependent on them to tell them what to do rather than read the Word of God and do that. Jesus aids in understanding. Bring that into today. Men and women, it's not about external things. It's about has your life been changed from the inside out. When they use the word heart, In the New Testament, they weren't talking about an organ that pumped blood. They were talking about the very central core of the human being. And Jesus is saying, it will be evident if your heart belongs to me by what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you it's not just a list of rules. In fact, God, we confess today that we're in desperate need of your grace because we can't keep the rules. Thank you that Jesus Christ kept them perfectly and died on the cross so that we could know you. 
God, I pray today would be a day of self-examination. It's really about our heart. God, if there's struggle there, if there's problem there, change our heart as we turn it over to you. In Christ's name, amen.